Uh, Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to dwell in your presence here in this space this morning, to experience the hope that you bring through your promise of unconditional love. We thank you for the gift of being part of your church and the kingdom of priests and the power of a loving community, a community that celebrates together, laughs together, and grieves together. We pray that your loving arms would surround anyone in our community that is struggling today. Provide your comfort and your peace. And God, we pray this morning that just as you bring hope to each of our lives through your love, that we may work as your agents of hope, bringing hope and love of Christ to others. God, this morning we pray for anyone that feels like giving up, that feels like they don't belong, that feels like walking away, or feels misunderstood or misrepresented and overlooked, devalued, disappointed, discouraged, or heartbroken. God, we pray for our siblings throughout the world, and God, I pray that you would meet them where they're at, that you would remind them that through it all, you are with them. God, may we find our hope in you, the promise that Jesus is with us, guiding us and carrying us. God, may your will be done, not ours, as we partner together as one kingdom of priests to advance your kingdom here on earth. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Amen. Good morning, Christ Memorial Church. It is a blessing to be here and to open God's word with you all this morning. I don't know if you guys can believe it, but this is our last Sunday here in the gathering place. Yeah, so the worship, the worship team actually told me I could have an extra few minutes for the message, I think. Or, uh, or maybe I just dreamed that, I don't know. But uh, this week, we're going to be continuing in our Immerse study. And we're going to be journeying through Hebrews, James, and John. And I know that some of you may have been thinking ahead and realized that the first miracle that Jesus does in John is to turn water into wine. And I know that I brought A&W root beer for everyone last time I preached, but I'm sorry there's no wine this morning. So I don't know if anyone feels this way, but sometimes when I get done with my reading for the week, my brain feels like it is about to explode, right? There's just so much information that we've just processed. It's kind of like you, when you binge watch a TV show, you sit down and you think you're only going to watch one or two episodes and then seven hours, eight episodes or a full season later, you're like, what just happened? Where did all the time go? You're surrounded with all the snacks you just consumed. You're like, I need to go to the gym tonight. I got to redeem this. And if nobody's done that, you're all lying to yourself probably. So this week, I actually slowed down and I reread Hebrews, James, and John. And as I did, I started to notice this similar theme that kept coming up. It was this idea that Jesus is our high priest And we as his church are called to be his priesthood of believers. You see, Hebrews is this book of encouragement to new followers of Jesus, reminding them to stay strong in the face of opposition. James then goes on to talk about the importance of living out our faith, while John then shows us who Jesus is in the world and how we're called to follow him. One of the first verses in John says that Jesus is the word. That means that Jesus is the physical embodiment of everything that we read in this story, teaching us how to live in our our lives in a way that resembles God. Basically, he is showing us what it means to live as the priesthood of believers. Now, this Jewish cultural idea of a high priest or a priesthood of believers may be unfamiliar to many of us. And so this morning, I actually want to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to do something new. And I want to take a deeper look at this idea because I believe it will help us better understand Hebrews, James, and John as we journey through them this week. You see, I think sometimes it can be really helpful to go back and read the Old Testament so that we can learn how to live out the New Testament Well, 
Just as we remember and honor people today who have walked before us and taught us powerful lessons in our lives, it's important to take a step back to the past so that we can sometimes understand our future. You see, a few years ago, I learned a really important lesson, that as modern readers of the ancient text, we often rush through words without truly grasping their significance. We got to read three books of the Bible this week, so we just quickly rush through it, right? And so sometimes we might overlook phrases that may seem irrelevant in our context, but could have had profound impact on the first century audience. And so this morning, I actually want to explore one of those phrases or those seemingly insignificant details. And I have to give credit to Brad Gray, whose teachings on this topic a few years ago completely transformed my understanding of the priesthood of believers, the role of the church, and my personal calling as a follower of Christ. And so if you'll open your Bibles, if you have them, um, I know you guys might have the immersed ones, you might not have the ones with the Old Testament, but if you do, if you'll open your Bibles with me to Numbers 15, 37 through 39. And this passage is part of the Shema. It was a central element of the Jewish faith, something Jesus would have centered his life around. Now, when George touched on the Shema last week, I kind of like sank in my chair a little bit. I was like, George, please don't go into it. I don't want to change my message too much. I started praying. um, And thankfully, he didn't go too deep into the Shema. But today we're going to read from Numbers 15, 37 through 39. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations come, throughout the generations come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. You see, what God desired for the Israelites was a tangible reminder of who they were called to be every day. Emily kind of showed what this looks like in modern day Israel um, with what she gave to the kids. But wearing these tassels would remind them to maintain their focus on God during life's challenges. The tassels were meant to keep their eyes from wandering, helping them to see themselves as God saw them, to remember the divine commands and to remain steadfast when the world is pushing a different agenda. On top of that, it was also used to identify them to other religions, other people groups, in other cultures. Now, I don't think anyone really wears tassels that often anymore, but my wife, Chelsea, she loves to go thrift shopping. And I remember one day she walked out of our bedroom and she was wearing this new shirt and it had tassels on it. And without thinking, my mouth just started speaking and I said, what the heck are you wearing? It didn't go over very well for me. And if you learn nothing else from this teaching, please know that you should never say that when talking about your wife's fashion, especially if she has not asked your opinion about what she was wearing. Right? Although wearing, there she is. She's not wearing, she's not wearing tassels today. Um, but although wearing tassels is less common today, we still employ similar practices. For instance, a wedding ring serves as a constant reminder of the vows we've made and communicates to the world our commitment to a relationship. In our daily lives, we often place visual reminders in our offices, in our homes, in our cars to help us remember important things. Personally, I keep my grandfather's old Bible and his handwritten notes to remember all of the lessons that he taught me. These physical reminders are a part of our routine. But this is where Brad's encouragement to slow down comes into play, to pay attention to details that held profound meaning for the original audience. And so I want to look at one of those phrases. 
And it's this phrase that God uses with a blue cord on each tassel. And friends, this is not just a fashion statement. And so the question becomes, why is blue so significant to God? Is it because he's a Michigan fan? I don't know. Maybe. They're doing pretty well this year. But first off, blue was extremely difficult to find. And it was very, very expensive during that time period. And so it was almost exclusively reserved for royalty or the religious high priests. In Exodus 28, we're told how God instructs the Israelites to design the robe of their high priest, and blue is the primary color. But friends, that's only half of the story, because if blue is simply reserved for the one high priest, then why does God tell all of the Israelites to wear blue? It's because in this moment, God is about to give them a new identity, a new calling, and a new purpose. You see, the Israelites are coming out of a time where they have been enslaved for hundreds of years by the Egyptians. And they have been told repeatedly they are worthless, that their value and identity only comes from what they can produce, and they have been chained by this feeling of never being good enough. But in this moment, God has just freed the Israelites from Egypt. They have escaped, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they're sitting on the edge of the Sinai Desert about to start their new life. And they're wondering what their next steps are going to be. And God gives Moses these words to share with them as they're walking into this new identity. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Oh, the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are three things that God speaks over them and over each and every single one of us. This is your new identity, Israel. You are my treasured possession. I want you to wear blue because you are royalty to me. You are valuable to me. The world may try to tell you something else, but remember, you are mine. You are a holy nation. I picked you. I chose you. I trust you. And then this phrase would have been shocking. You are to be a kingdom of priests. And you see, this meant something powerful to the Israelites. The jaws probably would have dropped when they recognized this identity and calling that God had placed on their lives. And to grasp what this actually meant to them, you kind of have to understand how the religious system in ancient Egypt worked. And so the Israelites have just finished living in Egypt for hundreds of years. So they have witnessed, and they now understand how the priesthood in Egypt functioned. And one thing to recognize is that ancient Egypt had more gods and goddesses than the world has ever seen. Historians estimate there were over 1,500 different gods the Egyptians worshipped. And so with that many gods, there were a whole lot of temples and a whole lot of priesthoods. So the term priesthood meant something significant to the Israelites. You see, back then in Egypt, when you went to the temple, you didn't necessarily get to experience the presence of the gods. In fact, they believed that their gods were off limits, and so the priesthoods acted as a mediator between the gods and the Egyptians. What they believed was that the high priest was authorized by the gods to do the work in the world on the gods' behalf. The priest functioned as the hands and feet of the gods. So when you interacted with the priests in Egypt, it was as if you were interacting with the gods themselves. That to interact with a priest was to experience the physical representation of God and who he was and what his message was. 
And so this sacred calling held a profound purpose and a potential for very significant impact. Because if the priests didn't represent the gods well, then the people wouldn't truly know who the God was. The only way for the people to truly know who the God was was for the priest to live out the message well. And so this is the Israelites' understanding of what a priesthood is. So when they hear that God wants them to be that for him, that he wants the Israelites to be his message, I think their first question was, God, are you crazy? Are you sure, God? Why us? We aren't qualified for that. We were just slaves who held no value, and now you want us to be the message of the living God of the universe? Talk about an identity shift. You went from having no value to being trusted by God to be his hands and feet in the world. God had given them a new purpose, and he wants them to be the way the world encounters and know who God is and what he stands for. And who better to tell the story of a God who strengthens the broken, frees the captive, redeems the lost, and the people who had nothing and now we're given everything. Their calling was to put God on display by the way they live their lives, how they treat one another, how they treat their families, how they treat strangers. Everything they do is now going to tell a story to the world of who their God is. And when people interact with them, it should be as if they're interacting with God himself. And so right after God gives them this calling, he wants to enable them to do it well. He wants to prepare them. He wants to build them up and train them. Because, friends, God is never going to give us a calling that he won't equip us to do. And so it's in this moment that God gives them the Torah, the Ten Commandments. And he instructs them, this is how you are called to live your life. This is the message that I want you to show the world. This is what it means to be a follower of God. And I want you to tie tassels on your garments so that when the world tries to tell you something that you're not, when the world tries to get you to act in a different way, you remember my commands. You remember you are my priesthood, and you are called to stand out and show the world that there is a better way. And immediately after calling them his priesthood, after preparing them and giving them the commandments and placing this new purpose on their lives, they're sent to the land of Canaan. And again, that little detail might not mean much to us. But at this point in history, Canaan is the most diverse and highly trafficked spot in the world. You have people from all different backgrounds, cultures, and religions traveling through there every single day. And so God's desire was to place the Israelites in the land where people from all different cultures could recognize that there is something fundamentally different about the God of Israel and how his people conduct themselves. Because God didn't just want his message to be for the Israelites. He wanted it to reach the whole World That when people came into Canaan and they see this sea of blue, they would first think, why are there so many priests out in the open? Why aren't they in the temple? Who is this God that dwells among his people? God's hope was that when people came into Canaan, they would see communities living in a drastically different way than the world. They would see communities taking care of the poor, freeing the captive, loving their neighbor, resting in the presence of God and healing the sick. And as different people saw this new way of life, they would become so captivated that they would ask the Israelites, who is this God you follow? And the Israelites would get the opportunity to invite them into a new story. Being a kingdom of priests was to go out into the world and be the message of God that when people saw how you lived your life, they began to understand who God is. And when God calls the Israelites his kingdom of priests, he's communicating to them, I believe in you. Your life matters. The decisions you make matter. 
Your life communicates a message, and I don't want you to ever forget that. So tie one blue cord amongst all the white cords, so that when your eyes start to drift and you want to go back to the ways of the world, you will see the blue cord standing out, and you will be reminded that you are mine, and you are called to stand out in the world, and you get the opportunity You don't have to. You get the opportunity to show the world who I am because through you, they are going to experience the redemption, power, and love of the Lord our God. Friends, that's our calling, and that's why paying attention to the small details can be so important. But friends, this is not just a call to the ancient Israelites. It's a call to every single one of us as followers of God. We might not necessarily wear blue, and unless you're like my wife, you probably don't wear tassels that often. But we do wear the name of God and we communicate the message of God with how we live and model our lives. You see, I never truly grasped how important modeling and being an example is until I became a dad. I now recognize that Charlie is constantly watching me and the way I live my life communicates a message to her. One of the ways she learns how to operate in the world, I'm going to get to that in a second, is by watching other people. Just the other day I walked into the bathroom and there she was peeing standing up. That was a mess to clean, let me tell you that. I don't think Chelsea found it. Um, Or when she's really concentrating on something, you'll maybe notice this when she plays her guitar up here, she sticks her tongue out. And what me and Chelsea came to realize is that there are countless pictures of me playing sports growing up of me sticking my tongue out. When I'm focused, when I'm concentrating on something, my tongue sticks out. And so Charlie's seen that, she's picked up on it. And so when she's focusing on something, when she's super concentrated, Her tongue sticks out of her mouth. We learn from watching other people. Many of us are here today because of people in our life who modeled a message that resonated in our hearts and helped us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Friends, God has called us to be a kingdom of priests, and the way we model and live our life matters. We are communicating what we believe to be true about God every single moment of every day. Sometimes people think you have to work in a church to be in ministry. But every single one of us is in full-time ministry. And every decision that we make represents what we believe to be true about God. The way you treat people at work, the way you treat people who come to church, the way you care for the poor, the way you walk alongside the addict, the media that you consume, the idols we worship, the decisions we make, the way we conduct our business, the way we handle conflict, and the way we judge one another. And so the question becomes, what message are we communicating, Christ Memorial Church? And is that different than the message we want to be communicating to our communities, to our kids, to people who look up to us as role models? And if so, how do we fix that? You see, the call of the church is to put God on display for the world, not just on Sunday mornings, but every moment in everything we do. And that's a heavy calling. Being a follower of Christ, you see, is not a religion that we intend. It's not a set of rules that we follow. It is a lifestyle that encompasses everything we do. Because as followers of Christ, we are called to not simply attend church, but bring Christ to the world. You see, when God established the priesthood, he envisioned his followers forming powerful communities of compassion, grace, and love to show the world a more beautiful kind of life. But I think God also probably knew that standing out in the world and going against culture and looking different from everyone could pose some big challenges. And that's why God focused on telling them to wear blue, because he wants them to remember who they are. Because friends, it can be hard to remember who you are when the world is telling you to constantly go in a different direction. 
None of us like to stand out. It's much easier to go with the flow and do everything else that everyone is doing. I remember my mom, you probably all heard this one. I remember my mom always telling me, well, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you do it? I was like, mom, I don't know. I've never been put in that situation. But maybe, I mean, I've done a ton of stupid things that everybody else did already in my life. So probably, I don't know. Standing out is hard. It's not fun to be different. And unfortunately for the Israelites, as you journey throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you see them falling into this pattern where they do really, really well living as the priesthood. But then the world starts to seep in. They see other people and they want to be like everyone else. And they lose their way and they start worshiping the ways of the world and culture anymore. And then God comes back and reminds them of their identity and they do well for a little while again. And then their, their eyes drift. And they start looking again at what everyone else is doing. They won't worship God as their one true king because every other place has their own king. So God, we want our our king. And they lose their way. They want to be like the world, but God told them to stand out. And it keeps repeating over and over and over again until God eventually falls silent for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, God gave us the opportunity, but we couldn't be the priesthood by ourselves. And so after 400 years of silence, God sends Jesus to be our perfect example. And Jesus is going to start pointing out some uncomfortable practices that the people of God are going to need to address. And the question for the audience and John is, will they follow him or will they crucify him? See, one of the first things Jesus does as he begins his ministry in John is to go and check out what is going on in his father's house. And as he walks up to the temple, his heart breaks to see what it has become. They're exchanging money. They're selling all these types of animals. They turn the temple into a market. The temple, instead of standing out and showing a different way of life, resembled many of the other religions in the ancient world. And Jesus is angry. And he calls them out and says, what are you doing here? This is not the message you were given to communicate. You see, Jesus had hoped the temple would be a place where the poor were taken care of, the sinner welcomed, the broken restored, the lost found, the lonely invited, the powerful humbled, and the judge set free. But it was far from that. And so Jesus calls them out. He says, I am going to tear it down, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And instead of looking inward and noticing some of the things they might be doing wrong, their response to Jesus in that moment is, no way, man. This took 46 years to build. Can't you see how amazing it is? Can't you see how beautiful it is? They bring attention back to their temple and their house of worship. And this high, the priests in this temple, they can't even recognize the presence of God standing right in front of them. John 1.10 says he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world would not recognize him. He came to that which was his, his own people, but his own people did not receive him. This is God's temple. This is God's people, but their eyes are no longer focused on the court of blue. They've forgotten who they are. They're so focused on the ways of the world, they can't even recognize their high priest as he stands right in front of them. And my question is, could that possibly happen in any of our churches today? 
Have we gotten so caught up in our own ways, our own style, our own preferences, our own buildings, that if Jesus came through the door and said, tear it down, we would complain and say, no way, look at all we've done. Look at all we've built. And we'd make it about ourselves and forget that we do all of this for him. It all belongs to him. It's not about what we've done. It's all about what he has done for us. And so Jesus says, tear it down. There are some things that need to change in this place. Because you guys can't even experience God's presence. You see, God didn't want the church to be a place of exclusivity. He wanted the church to be a place where everyone felt they belonged and could experience the unconditional love of God as we are come together to be transformed into the disciples, into the people that God has called us to be. You see, friends, the veil wasn't torn when Jesus was resurrected so that we could go back into the building and insulate ourselves from the world. The veil was torn so God's presence could fill the world. Being a follower of Christ is not a religion that we intend or rules that we follow. It's a lifestyle that is to be lived in the world because there are so many people that need to still experience the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, and we get to share that message, friends. Now, friends, I don't want you to hear that I'm saying the temple is not important. There are countless passages in the scriptures where Jesus and God talk all about the importance of communities coming together to worship and experience the presence of God. But I think we must constantly remind ourselves what true worship is. You see, worship is not something we simply consume or attend for one hour on a Sunday morning. That's a part of it. But worship is everything that we do every single moment of every day. And there are a variety of different aspects of worship that focus both on our inward spiritual development and our outward spiritual movement. And what I mean by that is I think churches all throughout the world often struggle with this balance of being either too inward focused or too outward serving. That there are churches that do really good on Sunday mornings, but then they struggle to reach their communities. Or there's churches that do really well at reaching out to their communities, but then they struggle to continue to walk alongside people as they get them into the church. And friends, we have to find the balance of using our worship on Sunday mornings to connect us with the presence of God so that we can continue our worship as we go out into the world and to be the message of God. Because friends, you cannot share the message of God well without first experiencing the presence of God. And I think we sometimes have to reframe our mindset of what the church is supposed to be. Friends, as we move into this new sanctuary, we have an incredible opportunity. But we have to stay focused. We have to have the mindset of how do we do this well? How do we make sure that our Sunday morning services are not something we are just consuming, but rather they are filling us up to go and share the message of God well? And it's going to be hard. It's different. Sometimes being a church like that doesn't fit into all the other churches and the rest of the world. But how is our church inviting others in? How is our church truly being the priesthood? How are we not just focusing on inward spiritual development, but outward spiritual movement? Are we truly a place where the poor are taken care of, the sinner welcomed, the broken restored, the lost found, the lonely invited the powerful humbled and the judge set free friends living into that calling is not going to be easy standing out when other people are doing everything else is going to be hard there are sacrifices that need to be made idols we've created and built that need to be destroyed comfort zones that we've made that we need to step out of and there will be pressures from the world trying to make us forget who we're called to be the enemy will try to make our eyes 
drift away from the blue cord. But friends, in those moments, we need to remind each other that together, every single one of us is the kingdom of priests, and when the world tries to tear us down, we build each other back up. Because Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's hard to be the message of God. The world will try to tear you down. I told you earlier that Hebrews is a book of encouragement. You see, at the time of the book of Hebrews was written, God's people have learned from their high priest. Jesus, And they're starting to live back into the mindset of this kingdom of priests that stands out in the world and shows everyone that there's a better way. However, the world is starting to close in. And Roman persecution is threatening to to make them forget who they are. And Hebrews is written to remind them to stay focused and run the race well no matter what the world throws at them. You see, the name Christians, the namesake Christians, actually first started around the time Hebrews was written. The Romans were starting to identify and persecute and arrest people who were following Christ. And normally our human nature, when we are being persecuted, is to go into hiding. However, the followers of Christ were actually making it really, really easy for the Romans to identify them. You see, they were living in such a drastically different way than the rest of the world, it was easy to spot them. They were caring for the sick, feeding the poor, welcoming outsiders, eating with sinners. Their lives were communicating the message of Jesus Christ, and you could see clearly who they were. So the Romans, in almost this insulting manner, started calling them little Christs, or Christ sons. You look exactly like him, so we're going to call you Christ sons, little Christs. And guess what? The early Christians loved it, they were like, yes, that, call us that. That's exactly what we want to be. We are a kingdom of priests. You should see who our God is by how we live our lives. Christianity started not as a religion, but it got its name because of how people were living the message in their lives. Because Christianity is not a religion to be attended. It's a lifestyle meant to be lived in the world. They learned the message. They lived the message. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't let the world's persecution stop you. There are so many people that still need to experience. So go and be little Christs or Christ's sons well. One of Charlie's favorite toys to play with right now are toys that glow in the dark. She loves to turn the lights off and see how the toys stand out amongst the darkness. Chelsea and I, we have to constantly put the sheets back on our bed because she crawls under them to make it as dark as possible. I already hate making my bed in the morning, but when you also have to do the sheets, it just takes the frustration to a whole nother level. You see, Charlie will sometimes forget to leave her toys out in the sun. Or she'll put them away in her toy box, which happens very rarely, unfortunately. And when she takes them out to play the next day... Since they've been tucked away and hidden, they don't glow. And she gets really frustrated. You see, for the toys to glow in the darkness, they need to absorb the light of the sun because without it, they have no power. And the same is true for us as followers of Christ. We need to absorb the presence of God. We need to fill ourselves not with the sun in the sky, but with the Son of God. We need to be in this word so that we can go and share the message of God well. Friends, we need to find the balance of inward spiritual development and outward spiritual movement. Because friends, if this story isn't calling you to live it out in the world, 
you might be experiencing it wrongly. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Experience the word so you can share his message well. And friends, I know this is a weighty calling. You might be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. God, why did you have to pick me? And so I want to share one last verse with you from John 15. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And I love this last part. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Friends, we weren't called to live into the world. We were called to advance God's kingdom in the world. And that's going to tear some things down in the world. And so some people might not like us very much. But if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Continue. You see, guys, God chose you. And I know that's hard to sometimes feel. Maybe you were skipped over for a promotion, dumped by the love of your life, a college turned you down, you didn't improve for the loan on the house, anxiety or oppression have left you feeling stuck, addictions torn you down. Maybe you are just confused on what next step to take with your life. Does anybody really want you? If that's how you're feeling today, I want you to know that this church wants you. You are loved in this place. God chose you, and we welcome you here. You have value. The Israelites were slaves who thought they had no value, and God looks towards them and says, I trust you, I believe in you, I chose you, and the world will know you through me. We tell ourselves lies all the time, but we need to identify those lies and tear them down and replace them with the truth of Jesus who says, I chose you. Greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. I want to do something really weird right now. I'm a youth pastor. I like to be interactive. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you are chosen. I want you to look to your other neighbor and tell them, you are chosen. And friends, I want you to declare over yourself right now, I am chosen by the God of the universe. Friends, God has chosen every single one of us. And you see, when God tells the Israelites to tie a blue cord to their tassels, he didn't just select a few. He didn't just select the best of the best. He told them all because the kingdom of a priest only functions at its full capacity when all of God's people are working together to spread God's message. Friends, there is a whole world of people who still need to experience the message of God. So may we come together as a full kingdom of priests to carry God's message into the world. And I know you might think to yourself, I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm not good enough. And I would say that's exactly why God chose you. Because while you might be telling yourself that's who you are, it's not how the world sees you. God says you are redeemed, you are healed, you are loved, you are accepted. You see the good news of the gospel, friends, is that God loves to use real people who have experienced real pain, who have made real mistakes to show how deep his love, his grace, and his redemptive power truly is. He chose you because he loves you. And he wants you to experience that. And he wants other people to experience it through you. I know sharing God's story is hard. And many of you feel that you're not equipped to do it. I'm a pastor, and I hate preaching. <laughs> Charlie's, Charlie's favorite story right now is Balaam's donkey. And now some of you are thinking, man, I don't even know that story. How does a three-year-old know it? Here's a real short synopsis. I know I'm running out of time. I'll keep it short. Balaam's lost his way. He stopped looking at the blue cord. He's made a financial business decision to curse God's people. 
And as he's on his way to make this awful decision, his donkey stops moving. And eventually, this is the crazy part, this is why Charlie loves it, his donkey starts talking to him. And his donkey reminds Balaam who he is and God's call for his life. And Balaam changes course and returns to God. The donkey spoke and shared the message of God. So friends, surely if God can share his message through a donkey, and we all know the other word for donkey, then how much more do you think he can do through you who has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, who has resurrection power running through your veins, and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead empowering you? God chose you. He believes in you, and he loves you. Friends, we live in a broken world that so desperately needs to experience the redemptive and healing power of Jesus Christ. I promise this is it. I want to leave you with a story that I heard a few years ago. At the end of World War II, much of Europe lay in ruins. Buildings had been bombed and burned out. Streets lay under dust and rubble. And many orphaned children wandered the streets. They were picking among the ruins for clothes and food. And early one morning... There was a soldier driving his Jeep through the war-torn streets of London. And as he turned the corner, he spied a little boy dressed in rags. And the boy stood with his nose pressed against the steamed glass of a pastry shop. Inside, the cook was working a large lump of dough for a fresh batch of donuts. The soldier pulled his Jeep to the curve. He stopped. He got out. He walked into the little shop. And he bought a dozen donuts. Then he left the store. He walked up to the little boy and he offered him the bag. Here, he said, I bought these for you. The boy looked at the soldier with wide eyes and took the bag. And as the soldier started to return to the Jeep, he felt a hearty tug on his coat. He turned back and he faced the boy. The boy looked up at him. Mister, his eyes still wide. Are you God? You see, something in that soldier's actions that day communicated the message of God to that little boy. And those actions were love. Friends, when we live with actions full of love, we have the opportunity to enable people to see the face of God every day. Christ Memorial, that's the message I want to communicate. That's the church that I want to be a part of. That when people are hurting, we respond in such a way that enables them to see the face of God. Friends, God's favorite color is blue, and he chose you to wear it too. I know that's Dr. Susie, but I'm a dad of a three-year-old. So may we be filled with his presence as we celebrate here, but then may we go and share his presence with the world as we walk out God's message well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you have chosen us. God, I pray that we would recognize that truth every single day. That we would set our eyes on you and we would not be distracted by the world, but we would live into the calling that you have placed in our lives. May we remember that we don't walk that alone, but that you have given us a whole priesthood of believers to walk alongside. And you have put the Holy Spirit deep inside our souls. So as we leave this place, may we go and share your message well. May we help people see your face and experience your love, your grace, and your redemption. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. Amen.